This is the Church Planting Podcast, brought to you by the Broadcast Network. Broadcast exists to support, train and encourage church planters. For more information about who we are or about the training that we offer, please visit our website at www.thebroadcastnetwork.org. Hello and welcome to episode 23 of the Broadcast Church Planting Podcast. We've got a treat for you this time. We're going back to March 2015 for a theology training hangouts with Bob Roberts Jr. It was a privilege to have Bob joining us for this hangout, talking all about the church, what it is, how does it fit in to God's plan. There's lots of stories, there's lots of great content in there. You can find this full hangout, including a Q&A with Bob and notes on everything that he had to say at www.thebroadcastnetwork.org slash episode 23. So without further delay, here is Bob Roberts Jr. So why don't we do this? Uh, when we talk about church, let me just run like a wild man. And you want to, you want me to focus primarily on the dimension of church and how we do church, how we see church, correct? Okay, good deal. All right. So, and y'all can hear me, right? I can't, I can't hear y'all. This is kind of strange for me. I'm sorry. I have a horrible cold. I've been in Brazil and I got up and worked out and got real hot every morning, went into an air-conditioned room, and I think it did something bad to my body, so I'm paying the price for it. So I'll probably have to stop a little bit and take a drink of water, but it's an honor to be with you guys. Are y'all a part of New Frontiers? Or no? Oh, you are? Okay, cool. I like you even more. It's great. Okay, so uh, two or three things that I would say uh, that, are, that are critical for our understanding of the church— uh, and it's a sequence we use to describe our DNA. It's K-D-S-C. K-D-S-C. And it stands for this, Kingdom, Disciple, Society, Church. Kingdom, Disciple, Society, Church. So for us, everything starts with the kingdom. If I were to take a step back before the kingdom, I would say the world. So in some ways you could say WKDSC, uh, because God created the world. What is the world like? To a large degree, uh, we've not made a strong connection, I believe, the church in the West, in terms of understanding the kingdom of God and how it relates to the world that we live in. Uh, There's even Christians that understand the secular and secular divide, sacred and secular divide, if you look at them immediately, they they put themselves off to the corner in terms of thinking about the sacred. And they totally forget the secular. And yet, if you look at the ministry of Paul, everything Paul did, except for his discipleship, was in the public square. Look at him at the marketplaces, at the synagogues. Uh, look at him at Mars Hill. Look at him at Athens. Everything was about the public square. Everything was about a pluralist society. Now, you guys are Europeans, and I think probably more so than Americans, you guys are better at pluralist cultures and even public square than we Americans are. I think the reason for that is we've got these two big oceans on both sides of us. We've got 50 states with America as a 
historical Christian nation, not saying we're Christian or whatever, but we were built on those principles. And then you've got Mexico below us, Canada above us, who we think is state 51 and 52, whether that's true or not. So what you have is a North American context of American Christianity uh, that was here, that's been strong, even though a lot of um, alcoholism, questionable past and things in our history, that sort of thing. So I don't think you can understand ministry or the church without understanding the world. And I think for the most part, what most of us as, as Christians in the West have done, and I am going to include you guys with me in this, not just Americans, we've turned the light switch off when it comes to the world. We see the gospel going into the world as we're going to preach and get everybody converted And there's going to be this world over here to the side that's lost and never going to be redeemed. And we're going to ignore it. And there's this other world here on this other side. And this is where we get people to become Christians. We congregationalize them. And the two don't ever meet. And and we ignore all of that. So for me, it's not enough to read Calvin or Luther or N.T. Wright, or whoever your favorite flavor is. I want to read Fareed Zacharias. I want to read uh, Eric Roy. I don't know if y'all know who Dr. Roy is, but he uh, was a passionate Christian and now is an atheist and writes the best about religious freedom and freedom of thought of anybody that I've ever ever read in my life. I can't put him down. Uh, A lot of people at different state departments read him. He's brilliant. But he understands the world. And frankly, that's why he left Christianity, because there was never this connection between faith and society. Uh, Somebody's from Switzerland. I'm friends with one of your top diplomats. I've spoken the Swiss foreign ministry at different events that they have. One of my closest friends there, believe it or not, is a YWAMer who totally left Christianity because of this issue. How can we follow Jesus if we can't connect with the world in a natural way? Now, that's another conversation that we could have that is in a couple of books I'll be writing in the next, I don't know, three or four years. But what I would say is absolutely essential to understand is what is our world? I want to read Fareed Zacharias. I want to understand what he thinks. Uh, Some of you Englishmen. Oh, what's the guy? Jeremy. Can't think, think of his name right now. He was your ambassador to the U.N. He's a knight. He's a big guy. And I can't think of his name right now. But he's a friend of mine. He's influenced my thinking. We email. He talks to me. How he sees things in the world from religious persecution to how Christians respond. Uh, There's a guy in the Middle East, same way. And I can go on and on and on. I say all this to say that we Christians skip by the world part way too quick. We just say, oh, yeah, they're not believers. They're not Christians. So what? Don't run past the world. It's your context. So understanding the world, and you're going to spend your life understanding it. It's not just reading a book or taking a trip. By the way, let me say this. A lot of Christians go all over the world and never once see the world. They don't understand it. They don't get it. It's what they were saved out of. And uh, I just don't think we have that luxury anymore. Paul got it. Jesus obviously got it. He died for sins of the world. Paul, look at him. Augustine, look at Augustine and how he lived his life. I mean, look, look, 
all of these guys, St. Francis, another example, we go on and on and on in church history. They were effective and respected by the world because they got the world and they didn't compromise their faith. But their faith actually brought value to the world. Now, what kind of a disciple is that? What kind of a church is that? So that's the big question. So that takes us, first of all, to the concept of what we would say kingdom. Now, let me just give you my definition of kingdom. It would be the rule and reign of God. I mean, that's as easy as it gets. George Ladd. Uh, Dallas Willard would say it's God in control. Uh, we could talk all day about definitions of the kingdom. But our problem with the kingdom is not necessarily understanding the kingdom. Uh, you know, how, how do we say it's here, but not totally. And it's now, but not yet. And so the question becomes, how do we understand the kingdom in the context of the present moment? Let me say this. You can have the kingdom and no traditional expression of the church. But if you have the kingdom, there will always be an expression of the church. On the other hand, you can have a church and still not have the kingdom. I think the kingdom of God, there's some words that I use to describe it because I think it's more of a culture than it is a definition. It's more of a way of life than it is an idealized way of life. Uh, I'm reformed. I'd say I'm halfway charismatic. Some people say I'm way charismatic. Others say not at all. Who knows? But having said that, a lot of times what we think about the kingdom, we think, well, it's, it's, it's not come. It's not yet. Well, yes, it is. So it's the culture that's been created. So just a simple question. Uh, has the Messiah come? I think so. Has the Ancient of Days come? I believe that he has. So if he's come, if he's present, then what does it mean for him to rule and reign in our life? And here are some words I use to describe it. Uh, number one, uh, it's transformation. So we're constantly in the sense of being transformed, not totally transformed, but we're in that process. Why should it not stop? Number two, reconciliation, uh, relationships that are broken, uh, things that are in society, reconciliation. Number three, would be engagement. We're engaging the broader society to make a difference. And we'll turn to Colossians 1 in a few minutes. And then number four, it's holistic. Uh, the kingdom of God is comprehensive. See, I was raised with the gospel of salvation. Here was the idea. We get everybody saved, come into our church, we'll change the world. Not necessarily so. There are three giga churches in the stone's throw where I am, and several mega churches, and a lot of churches that are at a thousand. And I would submit to you that our culture right here in Dallas, Texas, is probably not much different than the culture that you guys live in. Uh, no doubt being Texas, being Texans has more of an impact on culture than being Christians. Uh, because, for example, everybody has guns in Texas, whether you're Christians or not. I would say Texas culture, sadly, has more impact on the way people think in all ways than kingdom cultures believers included. Does that make sense? Are you following me? Because see, what kingdom says is it's, it's broader than just the gospel of salvation. It's what we call the gospel of the kingdom. Uh, the gospel of salvation, it's about uh, me going to heaven. It's about 
the Sunday event, the worship service to get people saved, doesn't care that much about society, uh, wants to make disciples that just go to church and function with the church, that sort of thing. On the other hand, an understanding of a kingdom disciple uh, values all things, values people, values the society, wants to see transformation throughout, see society as something to engage, and disciples made according to that. The other thing I would say about the kingdom is that it's journey, it's adventure. You're, you're never totally there. You're moving, you're arriving, you're getting there. So everything has to start with the kingdom. If, if you don't get the kingdom right, you're not going to get the church right. It, what makes me sad in America is we start lots of churches, but the reality is we basically are starting worship services, not necessarily churches. I've also learned this. We can grow the church and not grow the kingdom. Uh, I remember being taught early on, if you want to grow a big church, be careful about controversy in the pulpit. Y'all are aware we have all kind of issues, racial issues in America. I'm assuming y'all know about that. You're reading about it in the paper. And yet the majority of churches racially are divided, both black and white, and 65%, according to Gallup, are fine with that. They're just fine with it. Well, the rest of society looks at the church and thinks we're a hypocrite. The whole of society is integrated, but not the church. You see what I'm saying? So we, we, we grow our church bigger by isolating other people by basically we're really not growing the church. We're growing our tribe. Does that make sense? So our church made a decision. Okay, we're going to deal with this thing about racial issues. So we begin to diversify our staff. So we lost people at our church. So to grow the kingdom actually meant we were going to shrink our church up. But it was a decision we made because in the long, we felt like it's the right decision. What does a kingdom church look like? Shouldn't it be reconciliation? Shouldn't it be transformative? So for us, the Sermon on the Mount is everything. Now, I'm not leaving, uh, but I do need my Bible. kind of helps when I'm talking to seminary students. So if you've got your Bible, turn over to Colossians 1. And I just want you to look at, at something that that's really I'm sure but you know that uh, there is a reason why the books in the Bible were put in the order that they were put in and it's fascinating these four little epistles and why scholarship says they were put together Galatians Ephesians Philippians and Colossians in, in Galatians, it's about our walk with Christ. How do we know him? It's the whole concept of grace. In Ephesians, it's about the body of Christ. How do we relate together in community? In Philippians, it's about our character in Christ. And how do we endure hardship and suffering? And in, in Colossians, it's about our ministry with Christ and what that looks like together. So I want you to just look at this. It's very It's very profound. And it says, uh, Colossians 1, beginning in verse 15, it says, He is the image of the invisible God. Uh, here we go, Trinity, right off the bat. And I love y'all's emphasis on the Trinity. I mean, you excited me when I was reading that. Guys, for what it's worth, there is no more critical question for Christianity in the 21st century than the whole question of the Trinity. I'm telling you, I'm all over the world. I'm in the Middle East. I'm in Europe. I'm in Africa. 
I, 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 this whole concept of the Trinity became central to me because I was working with so many Jews and Muslims. And what wound up happening is I found out it's pretty important to Westerners too. And we don't know how to talk about the Trinity in practical ways. The Trinity should invade every dimension of our theology, our worship, our evangelism. When I share the gospel now, I do it in a Trinitarian fashion. This is just huge. So I want to commend you on your understanding of the church and, and the emphasis you placed on the Trinity. For the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Okay, get ready. I want y'all to circle how many times he says this. For by him, all things. Circle all things. You don't have to circle it. Just, just hold on to it. There's a first time. All things were created. Notice he doesn't say all people. Well, maybe that's what he meant, right? Well, let's keep reading. In heaven and in earth, visible, invisible, thrones, dominions, rulers, authorities, all things. There it is again. And through him and for him, and he is before all things. There it is again. And in him, all things. There it is again. Hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn of the dead. That in everything he might be preeminent, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Through him to reconcile to himself, there he is again, all things, whether on earth heaven to make peace of the blood by, by his cross. Now, if you go on, verse 21, he starts talking about y'all. But I want you to notice six times he says all things. That's pretty big. And the all things he's talking about here is things. He makes, he defines it. It's powers, dominions, authorities, guys. He's not just describing, you know, we spiritualize that. Just like sometimes we spiritualize the Sermon on the Mount. Don't do that. Don't do that. Take it for what it says. He, he's got the grid, so he sees the big picture of that, okay? So number one, everything starts with the kingdom. Now you have, understand the kingdom. So what is this kingdom, and how is this kingdom different than, than the world? Let me give you one illustration. If I pray for an Amer if I pray for Iran, right now my country and your country is working with Iran and France and so forth, nuclear issues, especially being America, very much pro-Israeli. So here's how most Americans would pray for Iran. Oh God, uh, we ask that you somehow or another don't let those leaders get the bomb. God, you know, just protect Israel and protect us, God. We don't want to see harm come, Father, and and uh, so, God, just do that. God, watch out for all of us. And if we have to send our troops, be with our troops, Lord, so that, so that you know, they can be safe as much as possible, yada, yada, yada. That's how an American would pray for an Iran. Here's how a kingdom Christian would pray for an Iran. Father, I know that you love America, and I know that you love Israel, and I know that you love Iraq. Father, I know that you love the whole world. And right now, I pray in the name of the Prince of Peace, who said, blessed are the peacemakers, to somehow another, Father, work in the context of all these negotiations. Father, I pray that Jesus be exalted somehow in this and that there would be a path of peace. And Father, I thank you for what you're doing right now with all the college students in Iran. How many are coming to faith in Christ? In the name of Jesus, I want to pray and ask you for peace. Now, if I were to stand up and pray that prayer in public in America, uh, I, I, in, a, in a church, a lot of churches would have serious problems with that. So I say that to say this goes to the heart of the church. You've got to understand the world. How are the kingdoms different? The kingdoms of this world and the kingdoms of, of God. And we've got a third kingdom, guys. 
kingdoms of this world, the kingdom of God. Are you ready? And in America, we have what's called the kingdom of the church. And that's the great tragedy. It gets in the way of the gospel. So now that we get the world, we get the kingdom. Now, D, disciples. So what we would say is we're making disciples for the world, not the church. Now, hang with me on that. When I say making disciples for the world, not the church, what I'm talking about is I'm making a disciple to go out into the world, not just somebody to come to church, not somebody who's just going to take notes from my preaching, not just somebody who's going to do humanitarian work or that sort of thing. But I'm literally going to make a disciple who knows how to engage people who don't know Jesus. Here's our definition of disciple. It's a a missiological definition. It's simply hear and obey. I was raised with this definition of disciple. Learn, grow, and go. I don't believe that definition anymore. I think it's important to learn. I read. I'm, I'm, I'm a constant reader. So don't hear me saying you shouldn't learn. But what I would say is uh, the idea that we have particularly in the West and especially in America is I can't do these things until I've been properly trained and certified and so forth by other people. But what was the context of a disciple in the New Testament? Notice it's with Jesus. And as it's with Jesus, they're learning and they're obeying immediately to what he says. That's what the early church did. There weren't seminaries. There weren't enough pastors. So what was a disciple? It was hearing the voice of God. Now then, in discipleship, spiritual disciplines become even more important than than mastering the history, the accuracy of the history or other things. Why? Because you're hearing the voice of God. How do I live this out in this moment where I'm at? There are three ways, or what we show as a triangle. We say up, in, and out. Up is is what we call an interactive relationship with God. It's not just our quiet time. It's literally connecting with Him, Him speaking to us, us speaking to Him. There's an interactivity that takes place. It's an identity with the Father. In. It's, it's a relationship with the Son. It's, it's in the body of Christ. And that's where we do sales and church. We'll talk about that in a minute. And then there's global impact, the out. Uh, I, I believe the Great Commission is not here and there. It, it wasn't saying first here and then there. I, I believe we live it out in all dimensions as best we can. So we would say global impact. So kingdom, disciple, and then society. We think the church was meant to engage the society. Uh, Most people view the church as a classroom. Uh, I I view the Sunday service as a time to equip the church, also a time at times to do things that are evangelistic, and that works to some degree in our culture. Uh, But I would say the whole essence of the disciple and the kingdom is to see the body of Christ, the church, present in society. Now, when we talk about society— You heard about those things that say all things. There's something. I'll show you this uh, little picture. I think I've got it. Yeah. So so uh, let's see if y'all can see that. Yeah. There you go. See that? That's eight little circles. At the very center, it says society. All right. And then there are these eight what we call domains. Now, let me tell you what they are. It's economics, agriculture, medical governance, education, communication, science and technology, and civil society. Economics, agriculture, medical, governance, 
education, communication, science and technology, civil society. Those are what we would say domains or the infrastructures of society. Every society has those. And that's just based off some urban study stuff. It's what is a human resource map that people would go when they're looking for a job and how they would find that job. Now, what's missing from that? Well, it's obvious. You didn't see the church. But we believe the church is not present in the society. At all. Wait, the church is present in the society as disciples are present. Otherwise, you get the church competing with the other domains. So our premise is you want the church in every domain of society. And when it's present, it brings value to the society. And so then what happens is the church emerges around the whole of the society. That's where your disciple making is done. Uh, That's where people come to faith in Christ. See, here's why I think sometimes our churches go so slow is we've withdrawn from society. In that same societal organizational structure existed in Egypt, exists in Israel, it exists in cities and societies all over the world today. It's just basic urban studies. And so what we would say is the goal is to help the church to engage the society as disciples are present in that. All right? So kingdom, disciple, society, and then church. Are y'all understanding me okay? Shake your head yes or something if you are. If you're not, I'm sorry if my Texan is not used to your ears. I apologize. I've got a cold at that. I'm sorry. Okay, good deal. All right. Now let's keep moving forward. So let's talk about church and what church is supposed to look like in this, in this, that. Okay. So here we go. So if you've got that down, now it's time to be the church. And so what Northwood would say is we are a global apostolic church. So when we talk about church, the first thing we're going to say about the church is it's global. I've seen this new saying, and I hate it. And I'm friends with the guy who did it, so I have to be careful about saying this. But it says the new going is staying. I want to hit that guy. That's just what do you mean the new going is staying? Get over yourself. Well, wherever you live your life, you need to be sharing the gospel. Amen? So your neighbors and wherever you are. But let's not confuse it. There's no doubt about it. The Great Commission means as you go. But to never get to the world, to never engage the world, y'all do realize the church was created with a global DNA. Now, just think about this, guys. The early church did not have Twitter, Facebook, Jets, anything that we've got. And in the first 150 years, look at how fast the gospel spread. I mean, it's unprecedented. I mean, the speed at which it it, it spread without benefit of the kinds of things that we have. So for us to be any less global, I mean, you've got Jerusalem, and the next thing you know, it's in Antioch. And by the way, who started the church at Antioch? Did, Did Jerusalem get a burden to decide, hey, we need to go up there and start a church at Antioch? No. Persecution, these two business guys, merchants. One was it from one place, the other another place. They meet up in Antioch. The next thing you know, they've led all these people to the Lord. The result of that is we've got a full-fledged church. It's ascending church. And then Rome and so forth. So it begins to spread out. So I would say the glo- the church is, first of all, global. That's put in our DNA from day one. It's in the Great Commission. It's the whole point of Jesus coming. It's from <coughs> tribes. It's from individuals to now everyone. All right? So that's number one. 
Uh, and then I would say the church is apostolic. And when I mean apostolic, I mean it's sending. The church is not the end in itself. Uh, the family of Christ, the body of Christ is the end. Uh, but what the church is, it's gathering that family. The mission of the church is not her own. It's the mission of God. I'm always amused at pastors coming up with purpose statements. And some of them are really great. Some of them aren't. And you can say anything you want. But if in the end, your purpose statement does not involve the Great Commission, you've just ignored God's mission. You can say it different if you want, but there's an apostolic sending nature of the church that does that. And so that's very important for us. So when we look at church, we see basically three expressions of the church. You get all of these in Ephesians. First of all, is what we would call the cell church or the organic church or the simple church or the house church. And that's, that's the most basic expression. Second, you get the congregation to the churches in Galatia, the congregation. Paul would go and meet with the elders in the different cities of those house churches. And then we have the universal church. Now, each three of those expressions of the church give us an understanding of the function of the church. Now, at the most basic unit they met in the house, the whole point was to experience what I believe was the fivefold ministry of the church, which was every house church, there should be a dimension of the apostolic. Uh, there should be in the sense of what is it doing in mission, the prophetic. How do we hear God together as the body? Evangelism. How are we leading people to faith in Christ? Uh, pastoral. How do we share uh, one another's burdens and so forth? And the teaching. All five of those practices make for a healthy church. But a single house church of 10 to 30 people is not going to change the world, let alone impact a city. And so the coalition of those house churches or cells or simple churches, thus the essence for the congregation to celebrate, to equip. You, you don't need uh, bishops and, and, and all of these other things the New Testament ta- talks about with a house church of, of, of five to 30 people. But when you have a lot of house churches, then that becomes important. And some of these offices and functions do become important because it's just not possible for for one cell to accomplish all of that. So the value of the cell is everybody gets to experience the gifts. Everybody lives in community and family. Everybody is sharing. And so everyone is active in that cell. It's where you live life together. The value of the congregation is you have the ability to make strategic impact on your city. Uh, You can do things together that you could never do alone. The value of the congregation is also equipping and training. Uh, And then third, the value of the global church is twofold. First of all, in that we can work together around the world to share the gospel. But second of all, the second value uh, that the global church has is if you want to see what God is doing around the world, you have to look at the fringe edges. And in the global church, that's what we see, those fringes that come together. So those three expressions of the church are extremely important for us. And and we think that you've got to have all three if you're going to be effective. That's why I'm friends with Terry Virgo. There's a group of 20 of us. We meet together. 
every six months to every year. Uh, we preach for one another. Terry's preached at my church. I preached at you know, events that he does. We meet together, a group of 20 of us. We pray. We hear God, one another. Uh, we, would be, we wouldn't call ourselves apostles, but we would view ourselves as apostolic-type leaders and so forth. Let me also say, core to the, our understanding of church is the concept of the apostolic and the prophet. Uh, you know, Ephesians says that the church is built on the apostles and the prophets and so forth. And I can't minimize that. I can't uh, maximize that enough. In America, if you're a great preacher, uh, generally that's pretty much what the church is concerned about. Uh, we want to hear the preaching. How is it? And, and that's going to determine or the music, that sort of thing. Uh, we would say the apostolic is much more than that. Uh, let me give you some understanding of how we see an apostolic church. Uh, number one, it would be entrepreneurial. It's a risk-taking church. It's always moving out. Number two, it's multiplying. Uh, one of the interesting things about all these global guys that we meet with, we all, most of us, not all, but most of us started our own church, but every single one of us are starting churches on a regular basis out of our church. Third, we're connecting. Apostolic leaders are very connecting of the sale to the congregation, to the world, to others. Uh, fourth, uh, it's a releasing church. It's not one that tries to hold everybody in and, and there's no freedom and so forth. Uh, fifth, I would say it's a big picture church. That's just critical. Six, there's blueprints. By blueprints, I mean like what I just shared with you about domains. That's an insight God's given me. Terry and I have a friend named Eddie Leo. Eddie's phenomenal at the point of understanding cell groups in the body of Christ. So Eddie's <laughs> coming to our church and teaching us. So we learn from one another's different blueprints, we would say. And then I would say influence. An apostolic church has influence generally uh, beyond itself. Well, we hope you found lots there that is of use to you. Just to remind you, you can get all the notes on everything that Bob had to say, plus a Q&A with Bob Roberts at www.thebroadcastnetwork.org slash episode 23.